the answer, in which case I'll just tell you that. Or if I, if I feel that it's, it's not quite the right time to go into that topic, I'll tell you that also. Um, so I'd like to talk about um, what we're doing in the meditation, what, what I understand meditation to be kind of generally. And there are different forms of meditation, and we're doing different forms here to talk about them. And then talk about a little bit about uh, three or four reasons why we do meditate <clears throat> for your consideration. Uh, and you don't have to agree with me either. You may not. So um, what we've been doing in the meditation so far, and for, for those of you who are new, it may be kind of odd, all the different things we're doing. There's something in common with the different types of, of activities we do, not only in the meditation, but also in the small groups. And what is in common there is focusing our attention. This is a capacity we have as human beings. We have awareness, and we have a capacity to focus that awareness on certain things or experiences or um, so forth. And so if I say, uh, please look at my hand, and if you understand English and want to, you can do it, right? You can actually focus your visual attention over here, and, uh, and this is what you're doing now if you're doing it. Um, it's, it's almost trivial. Children can do this too. It's how we learn. You know, we, we can focus our attention. And uh, in meditation, we use this skill. We don't have to be good at it. Uh, in any particular way. It, kind of how good we are at it, in my opinion, isn't that relevant. We have the capacity to some extent, and we can exercise that capacity. And so uh, whether we're focusing on the breath or the feet or some emotion or pain or the kindness exercise, that Pablo just led us in. You know, we're doing an activity where we're kind of at the heart of it is this ability to direct our attention and, and hold our attention. And so I already took down my hand, but if I kept it up here, you know, it would get boring very quickly, right, just to gaze at my hand because it's so mundane compared to all the other things that are pulling at our attention normally. Um, and so... Let me talk about some of the ways that we exercise this capacity and why we do it. Um, in the meditation, we uh, focus our attention and, uh, on something relatively neutral. And many, many forms of meditation begin this way. They choose different things to focus on, but we focus on something relatively neutral meaning not too pleasant or painful. Something that doesn't actually draw our attention very much because of the pain or the pleasure involved in it. Something that we're very easily going to be ignoring given everything else pulling at our attention. Something boring, right? 
or at least you know until we start paying attention it seems like it would be boring and so the breath is a pretty good focus for our attention when we're looking for something relatively neutral because normally it doesn't have a lot of pain with it and it's not that pleasurable it might be kind of subtly pleasurable and as we practice with it it can have that kind of a, a pleasant quality but the reason we're not in our busy days going around paying a lot of attention to the breath is because there are other things that are more stimulating likewise sensations in the feet right a very humble uh, part of the body I guess the sensations pretty normal uh, normally would be pretty neutral not terribly exciting the reason so here's our first reason to, to do this sort of activity. The reason that we would spend time focusing on the neutral is because there's something about the human nervous system, the brain, and so forth, which is such that when we do this for a while, the mind naturally gets calmer, more peaceful, more clear, more concentrated. And this is a a good good state these are good states there is a lot of deep pleasure associated with this calmness after 30 some years now of meditating it still can surprise me how this works that this works right that simply by spending some time making the effort to keep the attention focused on the breath or the feet or some other relatively neutral home base or anchor the way we speak we actually can cultivate the conditions for these qualities of peace clarity stability and so forth concentration and the, the really deeply satisfying states this is a remarkable fact about us humans I mean this piece of information is priceless So without controlling the world around us, without kind of getting everything fixed first, right? getting our life all organized and so forth, without even controlling our minds and everything that's going on in us, we can do these exercises that create the conditions for very wonderful, beautiful, valuable states calmness, peace, clarity. Does that make sense? So this is why we would spend time just coming back to the breath or to the feet uh, in standing or walking. I mean, this is why it makes sense to go out and walk like the way, the way we did this morning, and we will do this a lot more, yeah, even though it, you know, the onlooker, onlookers will indeed wonder about whether they missed some, some news about the zombie apocalypse, right? It makes, I, I can remember teaching, starting to teach this in a state university in 1998, and we had a good building for it, and I, I had confidence in teaching this, but 
you know, having these students, you know, walking around this building doing the walking meditation, it would have seemed very bizarre. But, you know, it made sense. It still makes so much sense. And, and, and it's not that complicated. It's like you can definitely get a taste of what I'm talking about during this week. You know, there may, it might just be a few moments where it's like, oh, yeah. Because part of our practice is getting used to what this peace is. Because we can be very much in the habit of just rushing through moments of peace. Right? And so, because uh, they can be relatively unexciting compared to problems or other forms of stimulation that are pulling at our attention. And so part of our practice is, you know, the reason we come on retreat is we give ourselves this time to experiment for ourselves with these methods to see how they might work for us and, and then become more familiar with the effects. And uh, then we can appreciate them more, but we don't have to do it all at once. And so in doing this, it's not that we have to somehow get calm first. I find that that's a misconception that a lot of people have about meditation, that first you would get calm and then you could meditate. Right? It's a misconception. It's false. It's a myth. Um, we don't start all peaceful and everything. We start exactly as we are, including freaked out, unhappy, miserable, uh, whatever, right? Whatever uh, is happening, we actually can exercise this capacity to focus the attention. I mean, there might be some states, like someone with so much physical pain, that they really can't, they don't have any space at all to direct the attention somewhere else. I'll talk about working with pain a little bit later. But, so there might, I'm not saying in any, absolutely any circumstance you would be able to do this, but almost any for sure, and maybe any. You would still, if you're conscious, you would have some degree of this capacity to focus your attention. And so what we're doing in meditation practice is learning how to be really intelligent with this capacity. And one thing that we can come to see for ourselves is that it can be really intelligent to spend time focusing the attention, sustaining the attention with the breath or with the feet in the way that we do in our meditation. Uh, As we do this, uh, as we try to stay with the breath or the feet, and I mentioned this earlier, um, we'll find that we can do it a little bit. Sometimes we might be able to do it for a little bit longer. But very often... uh, you know, our minds are not willing to stay there very long. And so we might notice one in-breath and then start daydreaming. Or maybe one in-breath and one out-breath and one in-breath and one half of an out-breath and then we're daydreaming or planning or wondering about who that person is over on there or something, right? And I think it's good to recognize that this is normal. This is the normal human mind. And we um, have a very complicated history as a species. And, you know, there have been a lot of forces of evolution that have created the brain that we have. And 
there probably is a really good reason. I don't know it. I can speculate a little bit. But my guess is that there are probably really good reasons, evolutionarily, for the human mind being the way it is, moving from one thing to another to another really quickly. You know, just a little speculation would be just to be safe, to make sure we're safe. You know, um, just like being on the lookout. You know, being on the lookout for bears, right, is not a small thing. You may laugh, but are are there bears around here? See, you hadn't even thought of that. Good thing I did, (laughs) right? Right? Are there mountain lions? Yeah. Uh, We did a wilderness retreat. Yeah, a teen uh, wilderness retreat last summer. Penelope was on it. And bears were not a laughing matter out there. We had to, every night we had to like tie up all our food and then hang it in a tree. It wasn't, anyway. Um, <laughs> our minds can move quickly because we can be on the lookout. You know, we can worry. And that helps keep us safe, right? And, and, being fairly civilized and so forth, we, we may have less worries of that, you know, that sort of sort. Um, but um, it sort of makes sense to me that it's, it's probably a good thing that our mind can move quickly from one thing to another and uh, so forth. So in, in any case, it, it does. The mind does move. And it's not, when it happens when we are meditating, it's not a sign that something's wrong with you. Right? And forget about, you know, don't take too seriously, you know, some idea that there's some problem with your attention, if if you've been told that. I don't know. The mind moves quickly, and and, uh, we can practice with that. What we don't have to do in order to meditate is stop it. We don't have to figure out how to stop stuff at all. And so when we're meditating, we try to stay with the breath, we really can do that. We can do it, but maybe just briefly, and then we notice that we're daydreaming or we're, we're thinking about something. And here in mindfulness meditation, we include this also in the meditation. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's not that some things are okay to be aware of and other things are not. Right? Um, it really means whatever is real, whatever is happening, thinking, planning, worrying, hating, criticizing, rejoicing, desiring, all of it, everything. Uh, and um, uh, in the actual practice, there are some tools we can use. And as we meditate and, and, and practice together this week, we'll be talking about tools, one tool is, is just a quiet thought to, to, to recognize what, what is happening. Thinking, planning. You might be singing a song in your head, singing. Um, often there's emotion there, uh, stimulating the thoughts or getting triggered by the thoughts. You know, some degree of, of anxiety or fear or frustration or joy, and, and so in mindfulness meditation, we actually open to this experience. 
And it's good to focus on the, the body. So with an emotion, there, there are the, the, the thoughts, the stories. And there actually are feelings in the body that are part of the emotion. And, and so I can recognize anxiety or fear. And there's often a story, right? Something that you know, I'm worried about or that I'm afraid of. And um, so I don't have to get rid of those thoughts, but I can drop down that level into the body, take the elevator down, is that what you said? Into the body and just uh, notice the feeling of it in the body. It's often ignored, right? We're often really preoccupied with the thoughts. And uh, so in, in, in this type of meditation, we actually are very nonchalant about, about exactly what's happening. You know, we, we don't go, oh, well, that's fear. I shouldn't feel that because I'm meditating. I should be calm and peaceful. No, I mean, it might be nice if, it, you know, if we weren't so afraid or so anxious, but you know, in the meditation, it's an opportunity. It's really an opportunity and this is where when we say the word practice, it's really a good word for it. We're really practicing for a living, for being really connected with our real lives, with what's really happening. And a really intelligent question here is, now why, why do this? Why bring awareness into an unpleasant or slightly unpleasant state like fear or anxiety? Why not just get better and better at distracting ourselves? And I'll give you some thoughts on that. But uh, I, I welcome you being skeptical uh, and seeing for yourself how this might work. Uh, probably the most vivid example to make the point, and I'll talk about other types of things too, but uh, is, is what happens when there is pain in the body. And uh, so you probably have had some experience of pain today. And it's, it's not that when we meditate, we have to stay with the pain and so forth. But one of the, the more interesting applications of mindfulness in the medical world is with people who, for whom they can't just change their posture and then the pain is gone. They're living with pain and they're having to figure out how to, to deal with it. And it turns out that the type of meditation we're doing is really useful. And here there's some good science around the effects of doing this type of meditation uh, with pain. Uh, and the way we do it is, is basically what I just described. So if my right shoulder is in pain, maybe I've broken a collarbone or something, then I'll begin by focusing my attention somewhere else somewhere where it's not in pain, like the breath or the feet or ambient sounds like we did this afternoon, or I might do kindness practice. And then pain being what it is will naturally intrude. All the better if it doesn't, but it'll probably intrude, right? It'll come to mind. It's, it's you know, one of the things that will distract me from the breath or the feet. And what we do in practicing mindfulness with the pain can be so counterintuitive. 
because we really gently bring the awareness into the pain. Gently, with kindness, with curiosity, but we actually are open to the raw experience of the pain itself. There's, in, in, in teaching this, you know, I always emphasize there's no obligation to stay there, even for more than a second. Right? Just tune in, yikes. Okay, but then come back to the breath or whatever we're using as that neutral home base. Um, or the, the, the kindness, which is, which is pleasant home base. So we, we tune into it. We, we are willing to feel into it fill into it, and then we, we might skillfully come, come away from it, but then we come back when the pain intrudes, when it calls our attention again. And uh, what happens when people do this, and some of you probably have practiced with this, um, it, it doesn't necessarily eliminate the pain. It can at times, right? Just bringing awareness into a painful or tense part of the body can relax in a way that, that reduces the pain. But even when it doesn't reduce the pain, so the pain is still there, the science is really clear on this. Um, it helps us manage it better. So we're not suffering as much. This also is priceless information, right? And I, I've been teaching this for 15 years. I. Uh, you know, when I started doing a course for credit at Bowling Green State, where I taught out there, and uh, would teach this, one you know, one interesting that's happened in those fifteen years is the emerging science around these things. So I would still teach the same thing and teach it with confidence because I have experimented with it. Uh, but now there is some really good science around this that that does help people feel encouraged to try it when they are living with pain. Um, and so uh, this is, if, if, this is, if you do live with pain, this can be so helpful. And the, the statistics are, are kind, of, kind of shocking. Like in a room with, with 60 of us, some 20 of us on average would be living with pain, you know, chronic pain of some degree. Uh, and so we can have more freedom. The point is we can have more freedom in our response to the pain. So the pain can still be there, but we're not dominated by it. And there's something about bringing awareness into the actual sensations which has this effect. Does that make sense? Um, One model for how it has the effect, this is just a model, is that the pain is having effects in our experience, right? In those next moments of experience um, and in our actions. And um, uh, often there is that response of hating it, fighting it, disliking it, resisting it, wishing it weren't there. And all of that is reasonable, right? It's, it's unpleasant. We don't like it. And there probably are good evolutionary reasons you know, why we respond so strongly to pain. But very often those responses are getting triggered even when they're unnecessary, even when we've done what we need to to get the the, the uh, collarbone fit set right and it's healing, but there's still some pain, and so there's still that response: do something, do something. And 
So whatever those responses are, they're just contributing to unnecessary tension and anxiety and suffering. And, and so if we can bring awareness into the actual sensations, it tends to cut those unnecessary responses that, that are merely uh, keeping us in a pattern of suffering. And so this is why it, it, it makes sense. This is one way to think about it. It's just a model. But why it can make sense for someone to say, well, mindfulness has helped me with my pain insofar as, you know, the pain is still there, but I'm not suffering as much. I have more freedom in my response. Simply by both bringing awareness in, noticing what it is, and then also that practice of connecting with the neutral for, for uh, the purpose of deepening calmness and clarity of mind that then is helpful when we bring the attention back into the difficult area. Something similar is uh, what we c- goes on with difficult emotions too. And so um, with fear, anxiety, loneliness, hatred, sorrow, uh, jealousy, uh, all of these things. They're normal, they're human emotions. Often in the experience of them, it feels like we're really alone and we're the only one, even though we know that uh, that's not true. Intellectually, we know that you know, there are millions of people all over the world, whatever state we're in, there are millions of people who are in a similar state and, and probably much more intense too. So we can know that, but the actual experience tends to be so isolating, or very often is. And so... Uh, not all, in addition to the actual emotion, there tends to be kind of an overlay of, of other emotions. Like, so I'm feeling sadness, and then I feel isolated, and so there's an overlay of loneliness, and uh, or maybe with anger. You know, we might have uh, an overlay of shame about it. And so part of our mindfulness practice, part of where the meditation can be so useful, is just to become more familiar with how how things work for us. How does it work for me? What's really going on here? Right? And then we practice in much the same way as we do with physical pain in our meditation with these difficult emotions. And so just uh, the breath, the feet, we get pulled away, thoughts, we notice, oh yeah, there's some fear. We tune into the to the uh, actual feeling of it. And a few minutes ago, I asked, "Why does this make sense? Why open to the raw experience? Why not just distract ourselves? You know, try to not pay attention." And the answer is similar to the answer relative to physical pain, which is, if we bring awareness in, then those kind of automatic responses tend to get undercut, and so we have more freedom in our response. So we're not just living kind of on an automatic pilot relative to these things, a sort of victim uh, to these states, but we have some freedom in our response. Uh, It doesn't necessarily magically make the anger or the fear disappear, but we're not so automatically responding in ways that are not helpful. 
So one example of this you might enjoy uh, involves a father who was in one of my classes in West LA. Uh, and um, he was really clear about why he was there, which is he was exploding in anger uh, at his teenage son. And he was afraid, he may not enjoy this either, but he, I enjoy it. He, he was worried about you know, what, you know, what was going on. And he was interesting because he was so clear. He's like, he's a very successful man. He could see that his anger had been successful, had part of helping him be successful to some extent in his career, right? You know, he just, people, you know, people took him seriously. He got things done and so forth. But this expression of anger with his teenage son was not working. And he was smart enough to see that, you know, it was dangerous. It could really undercut a relationship that he valued a lot. And um, so I taught him these sorts of things, what I teach. And um, after a couple of weeks, he came in and he said, I think I'm making some progress. Oh, okay, what happened? I said, well, my, my son did something stupid. I got angry at him and I exploded just like I always do. But this time, just as I was exploding, I had the thought, here I go. Right? And, and he was seeing a window open there. So there was the son doing something stupid, him getting angry. It's probably his job as a parent to get angry. I don't know too much about that. But in between that anger and the exploding, he saw a window opening. Okay, he saw, here I go. Just that awareness began to insert itself so that he could see that it was possible for the, for the anger to be there without the explosion, without the stupid actions that he regretted later. So that's the one way of thinking about the freedom that we can have in, in actual life as we practice mindfulness with difficult states. And so it's a similar sort of freedom relative to kind of the, the suffering that comes with physical pain. It's also, you know, just like it's one way to think about it is just living wisely, you know, acting wisely even in the midst of emo- difficult emotions. Not only in our actions with others, but definitely in our actions with others, but also in our own moment-to-moment experience. Uh, and the invitation of this type of meditation is, wow, how much freedom can we have there? I wonder how much freedom can we have? I don't actually know, personally. Um, but I think there are reasons to be optimist, optimistic. It's not, an, in me, an optimism about living without fear or sorrow. I don't think that's realistic. This is my opinion. You know, it just doesn't make sense given the reality of human life that somehow we would, that meditation would enable us never to be afraid or never to be sad. In fact, I have thought about it. It's kind of, it strikes me, it would be kind of odd if my, when my father dies, if I'm still alive. You know, feeling sad uh, makes sense. It's, it would be odd not to feel sad. But the question is, can I hold 
an emotion like that without unnecessary suffering. I, I joked about it a minute ago, not, nobody laughed, but you know, <laughs> it may very well be the job of a parent to get angry at, at you guys. I don't know, now and then, right? It, may, it might be part of their, just like being responsible to have that, in, that care that much to get angry. But can we, you know, can we live with intelligence even with these emotions? Uh, can we live with freedom there? Uh, does this make sense? Any questions about this at all? So we also can uh, uh, do the sort of thing that Pablo was teaching us an hour ago, um, focusing our attention on the uh, positive themes, you know, like the person, the animal, who we really like. Sometimes when I practice that, it can seem trivial. Why am I thinking about this person? What... uh, is the point of this, and and again, we're we're creating conditions for good states. We actually can be proactive there, and so in 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 that type of practice, we're not focusing our attention on on something neutral. We're actually in the beginning, we're focusing on someone who we really like, really enjoy. And we begin there because we want to cultivate this quality of, of enjoyment uh, and uh, creating those conditions for, you know, not magically always being loving, but having more access to, to these emotions of, of love, of the open heart. Uh, and, and Pablo mentioned there are family of practices like this. Uh, and, and they involve, they're different from focusing on the breath. As you know, we're using, a, we're using thoughts. We're using mental activity. And, uh, and for some of you, these may be the most important types of meditation to be doing. Uh, I would never teach someone how to use mindfulness uh, with physical pain without also including the kindness as an, as an alternative. Right, and so, yeah. Use the breath, use the feed, come back to the pain, back and forth. But then, yeah, just shift when you feel like it. That may get to be kind of dry. Just shift to thinking about someone you really love or who loves you, and just enjoy that as a relevant alternative. Staying in the meditative space. And so we also can cultivate these states. It's not that we kind of have to wait and hope that we will be loving or more loving or more grateful or um, uh, compassionate. We can actually make it a part of our life. Like, you know what? I would like to cultivate these qualities. And here, the science again is encouraging around the, the brain and the nervous system that it's called neuroplasticity, as you may know. Um, uh, 20 years ago, 
the assumption around the brain among neuroscientists was that having reached a certain age of development, we're kind of stuck with the brains we have and with the patterns and, and so forth and habits that we have uh, mentally. And uh, uh, that assumption has, has been uh, rejected quite definitely. And so this, the idea of neuroplasticity is that we actually have brains that, that, that can develop new habits. There can be neuro, new patterns that are developed. And uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, not clear how much plasticity there is, right? How much we can do this. But, but clearly we can, and there's really obviously good studies around that. And so what we're doing in the uh, practices of, of kindness and, and gratitude and compassion is uh, kind of creating habits of mind. Uh, we're, we're affecting the brain in ways that actually can make it more likely that these states will be accessible to us. And they're, they're enjoyable. They're good states. Uh, so some, you know, kind of, it's good to for many of us to see this point because it, when we're meditating, it can see, kind of be amorphous and like I'm trying to observe my breath and why and and, and or in with the kindness practice, you know, why am I thinking of my dog? Uh, you know, oh, it actually is creating patterns in me. Uh, it's not a trivial exercise at all. It's creating patterns in me that actually will help me be the sort of person I want to be insofar as I want to be kind and loving and compassionate. And, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's, we can be realistic here. Uh, we, can, we can take stock of who we want to be. Who, what sort of person do I want to be? Uh, we're not just kind of like victims of this universe. Uh, we, we, you know, this consciousness we have, this ability to focus the attention, uh, and then these methods that we're talking about where we use that focused attention actually have effects in us. Uh, and, and it can be um, part of our self-conception that I'm a person who takes seriously being alive and being aware and taking some responsibility for the habits that we have, the way that we are. Uh, and then the last uh, point I would want to talk about on this theme is, you know, in terms of why we meditate, why we might be interested is, I really do not know why you do. I do not know why you're here. I'm curious, I want to know, but uh, it's such a personal thing. And I have kind of recognized that, that insofar as I am a good teacher of this, especially in a university setting, it partly comes from the fact that I really don't assume other people should meditate or should be interested in the types of things I've been talking about tonight. Um, it's an amazing life. The world is very interesting. And there are lots of ways that people live and um, and so there's something and there's something about me and i and, and I doubt if spring is this way or Pablo where you know we're, we can there's room to be different, but for me, 
given, given my story and so forth, it's something really beautiful about not knowing why you meditate or whether you should meditate. But offering what we can offer in terms of these are methods, these have been valuable for us. There is an emerging science around their wholesomeness and the health benefits and, and the, the ways it can make life more meaningful. And then the invitation to you is, as part of your practice, to become more familiar with why, why you have been drawn to this, why you're doing it, and uh, so forth. Yeah. I didn't hear the last part. Oh, that we'll be doing on this retreat. Yeah. Um, so to kind of summarize it, the, um, the practice of focusing on the breath or on the feet or kind of this neutral home base is a concentration practice. It's, that's kind of traditionally in the, kind of the category. And so there are forms of meditation that... that that emphasize concentration. Um, and then the, uh, the mindfulness part always includes that. But its orientation would be to just to, to that openness to our actual experience moment by moment. So bringing attention to it with kind of a gentle, kind attention to what's actually happening, whether it's uh, pleasant or not. And just kind of bringing the awareness there. And so um, that would be in the category of uh, mindfulness or inquiry. And then the type of meditation that Pablo was teaching in, the, in that um, uh, 645 session uh, is, uh, in the Buddhist terms, it's called Brahma Vihara or uh, divine abode. And these are practices for cultivating positive qualities. And so we'll, at that time of day, we'll do the kindness practice. And we may do some others in that slot. But there are a bunch of beautiful practices. Um, we did kindness tonight, uh, compassion, gratitude. Uh, we did a, moment, a few moments of gratitude this afternoon. Uh, forgiveness, there's a forgiveness practice. Uh, equanimity, and some others. So there, there, there are those, those practices. And then um, something that will happen as, as we meditate, whether we're doing any of, these other, any of these forms, what will happen from time to time is we're sort of just being here, not doing anything. Um, so there's, you know, there's that activity of focusing on the breath or focusing on the pain or focusing on my dog or the, the beloved person. So that's kind of, sometimes the whole, you know, and there are things to do, which are, for most of us, it's good to have some things to do like that in this context. But there also can be times where we're not doing so much and, and we're just being here and we're, we're being aware and we're, uh, we're not asleep, but we're also not trying to, to do so much. And... And, and so there, that's kind of uh, always an alternative. And uh, uh, so there are forms of meditation that would emphasize that. And Shinzan 
uh, is, is uh, a teacher of a form of Zen called Shikantaza, which is, is uh, kind of in that territory. There's a form of uh, Tibetan Buddhist practice called Dzogchen, where kind of the orientation is simply being aware. And it naturally happens sometimes when we're doing the basic, when we're doing any other type of meditation. Um, so we can come back to that question. I'm not even sure I answered it very well. Um, so I would love to hear what these guys say. So we can come back to it later in the retreat. Thank you. We have a couple more minutes for this session. Any other questions on your mind? Yeah. What is your favorite kind of meditation? Uh, for me, it's it's that kind of the core mindfulness practice that uh, we do, and, and it's part of my daily practice. So, um, to um, it will always include a little bit of focusing on the breath, and then kind of that. You know, but not rushing or trying to make something happen, but knowing that's a tool I can use and that's really valuable and it does have effects in that form of more calmness and clarity and concentration. And uh, and then just kind of that openness to whatever happens. You know, just, and, and so, uh, and then I always do some kindness practice every day too, so I'm evading your question. I, I really like them all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What I do is I hyperventilate. Yeah. I don't, I don't breathe really fast, yeah. but I take breaths that are way too deep and I just yeah. get Yeah, it's so pretty common. Different yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so first of all, thanks. It's a very common experience that when we try to observe the breath, we, it's like the teachers are going, observe your normal, natural breath. You're like, what's that? You know, because when we pay attention, it is something we can control, right? And so, even in the yoga class, we did control it a little bit today. And uh, so, th- if you notice that tension around it, first of all, it's okay. You don't have to. You can still stay there, but if you prefer, just shift. Even in the sitting posture, just shift to your feet, or your hands, or let let your attention move through the body. Right, and we did that a couple times today. Uh, Spring guided us a little, you know, briefly in that, and then we did it in the yoga class. And so, just letting the attention move through the body, uh, um, open to sounds. So there are actually lots of alternatives, um, and we don't have to get it perfect, right? But if you notice that you're just kind of caught up in in a struggle with the normal natural breath. Maybe just shift to, to sounds for a, a couple minutes and then come back to the breath. The breath tends to be pretty good for most people. And, and the experience that you shared is very common. Thank you all for your attention. I, uh, one more question and then we'll stop. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Great. Thank you. So we 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 personalize our practice, right? Um, we we find things that work. Uh, we we don't have to 
to know in advance exactly what we're supposed to do. But as over time, we definitely can learn what works for us and and uh, and, and kind of focus on that. And I evaded the question about my favorite, uh, but but you may it may be pretty clear to you what your what is best for you now. You know, just even at the level of sitting versus standing. And so we want to have a context here where you can really uh, practice what, what is making most sense to you. And so if doing the kindness meditation tonight, wow, that really resonated well. Uh, it's a free country. Uh, you know, you can do that even when we're telling you to do something else. Thank you for your attention. I enjoyed uh, talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. So we'll take a break now. Um. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.